Our reading for this morning comes from John um, chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. Now, when the Lord learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now it was necessary that he go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being exhausted from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came there to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, along with his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I shall give him will become in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. So you have spoken truthfully. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you all say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Yet the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you 
M. He. And that brings us to the end of our reading. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. That was beautifully read. So we make a pledge this morning that we don't mention the rugby. Yeah? Just, just between not going to get mentioned. Kirsty, the worship this morning, I was thinking of sending you songs to, 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 um, for us that, that is, were prompted by my pre preparing for this sermon. And you did better than all my suggestions, so thank you. One of my favorite programs, and this is a bit weird, one of my favorite programs is a program called Fake or Fortune. Have you had Fake or Fortune? It's a television program where somebody has found, like you do, right, found this potentially incredibly precious painting in their loft or in their garage. But they just don't have all the paperwork to back it up. But they've taken it to various places and they have been told, yeah, I think that, I think that's a turner. I think that I think that's a missing turner. That's amazing. So fake and fortune then get everybody around to um, to analyze it, to look and check to see whether it is authentic, to take scrapings of uh, the paint and work out whether the pigments are of the right time. They do scans. It really taps into my inner geek being a maths and science teacher. Um, but they do scans and they look at what's underneath because often people reused canvases back in those days and they can see, oh yeah, well, that's, that matches up too. And then uh, they produce this portfolio of evidence and they put it forward to the experts who have the final say. You never see the experts because they are tucked away inside, a, um, often in a, uh, a gallery or some place where um, they, can't be, they can't easily be found. And sometimes the people are told, yes, this is the missing Turner. This is the missing Picasso. And their lives are just completely transformed because what they had was a piece of, of um, cloth that had a nice picture on it, and it was worth nothing. And then suddenly, it's worth millions, and their lives are transformed. But what I really love is the fact that the authenticity is valued above everything. It's hard won. It's not something that's given away easily. It's real. It's genuine. It rings true. And that is why this morning, as we look at our family values and our values of what we are as a church, that being authentic is really at the heart of our church. Are we real? Are we genuine? Do what we, does what we say ring true? Do our words match our actions?
So we're going to look at authenticity this morning from three different angles. Being authentic with yourself, being authentic with others, and being authentic with God. I love this story. Sometimes John can be a little bit, I find him a little bit highbrow, or he'll just go off in a different angle. But this story, he nails it. The honesty and the authenticity of this story um, is spot on. Jesus was tired. It was the sixth hour of the day. It was midday. A woman was coming to the well by herself and drawing water from a deep well. All the, all the small elements of the, tr- of the story hang true. It has a ring of authenticity about it. Why was she coming to the well at midday to draw heavy pots of water? I don't think it's a long stretch, although it's not explicitly said in the passage, is that the woman knew that perhaps when all the other women were coming, she wasn't going to be welcome. That she was... um, they They were filling their water bottles in the cool of the day, but she couldn't come at that point because she'd stuffed up. She had a bit of a reputation, this woman. She'd already had five husbands, and the guy she was with at the moment was, um, was not her husband. She was a judged woman by society. She knew that she had fallen short and that there were consequences to her actions. And she had to face them. She had to change her life because of what the things that she had done. Isn't it interesting how the Bible talks about sin? There are willful sins, and Jesus is really harsh on willful sins. When somebody is being a hypocrite or persecuting the weak, he talks about having people having millstones hung around their neck and thrown into um, the, the, the depths of the ocean. But then he also talks in a much more compassionate way of falling short, missing the mark, aiming for a target and not quite getting there, being lost. I don't know, I've got a very, very strong memory as a child when I was in um, Carnarvon on a family holiday. And we'd gone into this fabulous toy shop. Um, huge it was. Well, in, you know, as a child, it seemed huge. It was just like an extraordinary place. And, of course, I wandered away from my parents. And my mum had gone to the door of the shop so that she could make sure that I didn't leave the shop. And my dad was wandering around looking for me. But what we didn't realize is that this shop was two shops back to back, and it had an entrance on both sides. And I'd gone out looking for them, thinking, of course, they'd left me behind. Um, They would never have left me behind. But it's being lost. It's that fear. And 
Jesus said, I come to seek and save the lost. He's come to seek and save everybody. But he's specifically interested in the lost. That compassionate heart of Jesus, where you are not in control and you know that things aren't right and you're trying to put it right and you just don't have the power to do that. We're aware of our weaknesses, aren't we? We're aware of the things that we struggle with. Sometimes we can kid ourselves that it's fine. It doesn't really affect me. And we know that that's not true either because it affects our relationship with God and it affects our relationship with each other. I know that I have to be really careful about what I watch. Game of Thrones is not something that I could get into because it just would do me no good. For any of you who don't know what Game of Thrones is, it's a bit dragony. It's a bit sort of uh, mystical. Um, it's a bit killy. Um, it's a little bit sexy. And it really wouldn't do me good. So I avoid it like the plague. That's what I struggle with. And that's something that I make sure that I put in place to protect myself so that my relationship with God is good. And we have to be honest with ourselves about where we can tread in life because there are places that we can tread that are going to lead us in, in, into places where we're going to miss the mark. Sometimes we can be treading and firing our arrow in completely the wrong direction and we need to turn around. But we need to know exactly what is the thing that is stopping me from making that step, that going forward with God. And we don't have all the answers, but we do need to know and be authentic to ourselves. Being authentic with others is the next part. As a leadership team, we've been discussing um, sort of where we're at as a church and what's important and how we need to go forward. Um, and Dan Kemp was speaking last Sunday evening and was fabulous, and um, I'm going to nick some of his stuff uh, for, this, for this section. But it keeps coming up. It keeps echoing, and it's something that I think that God is telling us that we really need to press into. Because life can be tough. And we can all do this. Yes? How are you? Yeah, great, fantastic, yeah. When actually inside, that's the last thing that we are. And being open in church is, is one of our 
amazing strengths. This isn't a church where we do that very often. We are allowed and we allow each other to cry and to show our broken selves. This church has had so many words spoken over it about it being an ark in all its iterations of, 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 uh, of clergy who've been here. An ark, a place of safety. When Alan came, he said it was a haven. It is a hospital for the broken. We can be honest with one another here. We can pray for one another. One of my pet hates as a Christian is when we say, can I just pray for you? Just. <laughs> it is the most precious thing that we can do with one another, is pray for each other. Can I pray for you is the biggest thing that I can give to somebody. To come to them and say, I want to sit in your pain and be with you and intercede for you when you have not necessarily got the words to be able to say what you need to say. And it is completely okay to be sad and to be broken. Because St. Paul tells us that in your weakness and your brokenness, that God is perfect in his power. Sometimes we can plan and we can get everything sorted. And we've got this amazing plan and there's just no space for God to move. But when we are broken, when we are at our end, we are the, at the most reliant on God in that moment. And then we can see the power of God come into our situations and transform. It's really important that we are, are authentic because isn't real. Yes, there are times where we have joy in our lives. And thankfully, we're sort of moving away or we don't hear as much of the televangelists that say, touch the screen and you will be healed. Send us your money and everything will be all right. I don't see that in the Bible. I see disciples facing persecution, shipwreck, facing death on a cross, facing death upside down on the cross because they didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way as our Lord and Savior. I see David screwing up and writing the most amazing psalms about how awful his life is at, at, at specific points in his life and his brokenness. 
I see Job sitting with his whole life having been shaken. That's the reality of life. And Dan last week, uh, last Sunday, brought us this passage, and I think it's amazing. It's from 2 Corinthians. Not touch the screen. Not everything's going to be all right. We, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 10. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. The interest rates have gone up again this week. And some, for some of us, that's a bit of a uh, hard-pressed, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. There are so many of us that are facing illnesses in our family. We don't understand why Gracie is, is, is uh, unwell and is facing this, this injury. It's perplexing. But we do not despair because we have hope. Persecuted, Jess mentioned in her prayers, the Christian churches where people are facing persecution. But not abandoned. We were in New Wine a couple of years ago and there was a lady from North Korea who came and she talked about her persecution. But she knew she hadn't been abandoned. She had been struck down, but she had not been destroyed because her faith was real and our God is real and he holds us and he never lets us go. And we always carry around the death of Jesus, death, around in our body the death of Jesus. This is the next part of the, the passage. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. We experience death, we experience bad times just like Jesus did. So that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. Because even though all these bad things are happening, we have got a hope and a promise that is sure and is never going to let us down. Because our present sufferings are not the end. We have promises. You, I am a child of God. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I was speaking with uh, Rajiv and Shweta last week, week before maybe, and it was, and I, I'd had a bit of a tough week at school, and um, they were telling me about how the devil is always prowling, always seeking to sort of like pull us down and make us feel that we are not what we are. And take away our joy. And I was challenged, and quite rightly so, to keep our focus, 
keep our focus on Jesus and the devil will flee and the devil will run because if we're looking at Jesus and remembering who we are in him we are strong so back to the woman at the well and being authentic with God sometimes we can be honest with ourselves we can face our situations and say yeah yeah, this is the situation that I'm in but just like the woman in the well we sort of tell God half-truths she asked Jesus asks the woman well, bring your husband, and, and you know, I, I, we can talk about living water, and, and she says, well, I, I, you know, I don't have a husband at the moment, which is strictly true, but not true. So we evade the truth with God, and don't face the help that God re, uh, can give us. What did Jesus do in that situation? I love this. You wicked woman, telling me lies. You are awful. No. Jesus is so gentle. He just brings the situation into the light. She knows she's lost. She knows she's missed the mark. But there's no judgment. There's just an offer of living water. The water where we come alive in the river. The better way of living. The refreshing. The cleansing. The love and the wholeness that comes from getting into, into league with, with, with Jesus. Living your life the Jesus way, accepting his love and his forgiveness and his cleansing. Band, can you come back? Because God knows us, he knows us, so well. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows your highs and lows. He knows your struggles and failures and successes. There's no need for part truths. He is the gentle healer. And he says, come. Come. Come and have my living water the water that is going to refresh. Come and experience peace that's beyond understanding. And forgiveness. And rest. And restoration.
I think there is somebody here today that needed to hear this message. Salvation, being whole and restored, is here. It's on offer. I'm going to be over there at the end of the service. I'm going to be available to pray. If that's something that's resonated with you, come and pray. I've written down pain. There's pain in this life. There's difficulty in this life. If you are facing pain and life is hard, come over and let us pray with you. We are family. We can be open because this is a safe place. And let's seek the freedom that God promises in our lives. Thank you.